have it, Bass Edge listeners. The ball has dropped, and Happy New Year 2015. We're moving on. Man, Kurt, is it just me, or are we getting old? It's hard to believe. I've kind of lost count of how many episodes we're actually into this thing. Well, we're at episode 199, just in case you didn't know. And I've got to give a big shout-out to 2015 sponsors of Bass Edge. Keeping us moving forward, Aaron, I'm going to do this in my best announcing voice. Bass Edge sponsors for 2015, MegaWare Keel Guard, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Legend Boats, Mercury Outboards, Power Pole, Lawrence, Rapaholic.com, and of course, In Motion Wholesale Distributor and Sales, bringing you Lucas Oil Products. Man, Kurt, I think you actually have a future in the WWF. You know, maybe one of those, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get ready to rumble type deal, but uh, man. Almost nine years, huh? That's it, nine years, and let's do that, Aaron. Let's get ready to rumble. Bass Edge, coming right at you. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Daggummit, Aaron. Here we are. You know, we mentioned in the opening, a brand new year, 2015. Good night. We've been around a long time, and we're not going anywhere. Daggummit. Now, that's a new, that's one I have not heard in a long time, Kurt. I always appreciate your extended vocabulary. It's great to be back on the mic with you, and you know, I've been kind of uh, going through the blaster, and looks like things are getting a little nutty, and you can certainly tell what time of year it is, because we've transitioned from pictures of big fish into somehow things with antlers. I guess it's because of just getting off of Christmas. Yeah, you, you gotcha. It is hunting season. Although, you know, I'm still fishing down here at Amistad. You always got to be catching a few. And uh, I'm not a big hunter, but my goodness, it seems like, you know, 90% of the anglers in the world do hunt a whole lot. And uh, checking out the Bass Blaster recently, you got Edwin Evers fishing for pecans. That is freaking crazy. The guy's got a, a really cool deal going on. Started a business a few years ago growing pecans countries you check out the blaster you can see an email from edwin evers and a little video that shows him casting in his trees catching his pecans so a pretty cool deal and then transitioning back to the hunting there's some giant antlers by none other than a lucas pro bill mcdonald dude he's got a giant buck pretty awesome that guy i think spends equal time in a tree stand is what he does on the front deck of a boat and uh certainly good to see one of the bass edge alumni out there having some fun and also having some success obviously as you mentioned 
the Lucas Pro and also protecttheharvest.com pro. And speaking of protecttheharvest.com, Kurt, we have this new segment that you and I have talked a lot about. We spent several months kind of in the development of this. You know, in 2014, we had the Marine Tech Minute, uh, which was obviously received very well. But this year, we're taking it a little bit different direction and adding some variety and getting a little more specific in our focus as it pertains to catching a bass. That's right. I'll be always reverting back to those Marine Tech Minutes that we had in 2014. But uh, exciting enough, protecttheharvest.com is bringing us in 2015 pro tips. So uh, we're going to have different Lucas Oil pros giving us tips and uh, talking to us about how we can catch more fish, how we can utilize our boat equipment a little bit better, all kinds of things with these pro tips that we're going to have coming in 2015. Matter of fact, we are ready to start them off right now. So let's move right into today's pro tip for episode 199. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Today's pro tip brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping our traditions alive for future generations. Fishing deep in the winter months with pro angler Mark Rose. What are three deep water tactics that work well in the winter months and explain why? Usually in the wintertime, the water temperature is cold, and I like to fish baits that stay in front of the fish at a longer period of time, such as a vertical jig and spoon. A lot of times I'm looking at these fish on my sonar. They're normally a little bit deeper in the wintertime, and they're usually related to some type of contour, like a creek channel, the mouth of a ditch, or something like that. So a vertical jig and spoon, I can see it on my sonar, and I can keep it in front of the fish for a longer period of time. I also like small grubs. You know, keep in mind in the winter months, you're normally fishing fairly clear water. You're not fishing really mud. You're fishing a body of water that has some clarity. So something like a smoke or a a shad-colored grub and just creeping it along. Again, keeping it in front of the fish's face at a long time. Also, a jig. A jig, you can really slow that thing down, count the rocks or count the break, and just really get in tune with the slow metabolism of the fish and just really keeping that bait in front of the fish for a longer period of time. So use slower baits. Fish aren't as active. Keep it in front of them for a longer time. Thank you, Mark Rose, for today's pro tip brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping our traditions alive for future generations. Two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boat's exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats. This is BASF Elite Angler Boy Duckett. Stay in touch for more Bass Edge Radio. 
Here we go, Bass Edge Nation. We're touching some new territory with an in-depth look to kick off this new year. I'm stoked to have with us today Chad Hoover, the host from Kayak Bass and TV, which can be seen on NBC Sports and the World Fishing Network. Chad, welcome to Bass Edge Radio. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, Chad. This is Aaron. I have seen your show, you know, several times, and I've got to say, you really bring kayak fishing to a whole new level. Can you describe to us or, or you know, clue our listeners in on how you began really to get into bass fishing from a kayak and then transition into a TV series? Well, it, it all started, I was Navy for 20 years, and I was stationed in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I was driving down the beach. Uh, I did a little guiding on the side back then, so paper college and formula for babies and stuff like that, and uh, driving down the beach, and I used to do these fly trips. We would drive down the beach, and guys would jump out with a fly rod and cast to uh, jacks and tarpon and things like that rolling in the surf. We go past this guy and he's got a little kayak sitting there. And just as we're passing him, he chucks like a half a tuna into the back of this little kayak. It couldn't have been any more than about eight or nine foot long. Paddle jumps in with the paddle and paddles it out almost to the horizon. It looked like he just disappeared. And then we all just sit there out of curiosity wondering what the heck he was doing. He had a captain's chair welded onto a mount that plugged into the hitch of his Jeep. So he paddles back in, drags the kayak up on the beach, hops in the captain's chair, pops a beer, takes a big swig of it, sets it in the cup holder that's welded to this captain's chair, puts a few clicks on the reel, sets the drag release, and then just goes back to drinking his beer. So we started talking to him, and what he had done is he had paddled a bait out, you know, 500 yards and dropped it on the shelf, paddled back in, tightened the lineup, and then he was sitting in his fighting chair. So, of course, we started asking him about the fighting chair, and uh, he said, yeah, I can just jump in the truck and run down the beach if the shark's about to spool me, line back up with him and jump in the chair and fight him again. Or I could put my girlfriend in the truck and drive, and I can just ride and fight. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I gave the guy my card, and I got his information, and about two months later, he called me up and says, hey, I'm selling my kayak. I got to get a new when you're interested and uh of course i'd already been intrigued i couldn't really find them anywhere at the time so i bought the kayak off of him and started using it to get into these skinny spots and more or less in the beginning it was a floating tackle box you know i wade fished a lot in texas and so i put all my stuff on and hook it to a lanyard paddle across the channels get out hook it to my belt and then just kind of wade fish with it and you know most people know me now from the bass fishing side of the game but i do a lot of saltwater fishing in fact i'm down in louisiana right now chasing uh spot tail bass and speckled trout so i got into it doing the saltwater thing and had some success in tournaments and had a lot of success in guiding trips and people thinking it was the coolest thing ever to have me jump in the kayak and I would actually herd redfish back to the boat with the kayak by paddling up behind them and wiggle the boat a little bit they'd push forward and I'd herd them right past my clients and I got a reputation for doing that word of mouth started getting me more clients and I won some tournaments using the kayak in tandem with the boat at you know mothership in it and then one day I was changing the lower unit oil on one of my boats and I realized I was changing the lower unit oil on the anniversary and i used to do it on my birthday which sounds sadistic but it's the only day i could remember like hey this is the day you got to do these annual things <laughs> and uh when i went out there to change the lower unit oil the lower unit oil tube from the year before was still sitting on the transom in the boat which means it hadn't left the driveway i went man i'm making payments i'm paying insurance i put it in the penny saver because you know we didn't have craigslist back then or the internet really al gore was still working on it so i put my boat in the penny saver it's it, it sold in like four days, and man, I've been kayak fishing ever since. Before we get too far removed from this, you know, this herding redfish really intrigues me. Can you, are you available for the elite tours with, with Kurt where you can go out and herd bass, you know, and, and round them, push them yeah, in the absolutely. back of the pocket? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's what I need. I also I also want to know if the kayak you bought from the fellow you saw out there throwing that eight or nine foot tarpon or tuna or whatever it was in the boat. When you bought that kayak, did it come with a case of beer? Because I think that's probably what I need to get out there with that kayak. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it came with more than a case because he's one of those guys when I pulled up in the driveway to buy it, I had to drink a beer. You know, it was obligatory, so I had to get somebody to pick me up. Right, right. I think, but, I think um, I'd buy my first kayak with some hard liquor, maybe some Jack, you know, Jack and Coke. Or something. That would be cool, yeah. Chad, let's talk real quick about the setup of your rig. We'll kind of get into how, how you transitioned in TV, I'm sure, through some of this stuff. But watching your videos, you got a plethora of videos online, you know, and, and your uh, kayakbassandtv.com website, very informative. You've got Hook One Media, I believe that's correct, where you're selling a bunch of goods there for these kayaks. Let's talk about your setup. Man, I saw a video. You're actually trailering this kayak. So you're trailering this thing behind a truck to get where you want to go and dumping it in the water like that. It's not your normal kayak where you're just throwing it on top of the car, is it? Well, it's both. And I generally use the trailer because I have to carry more than two. If I'm just carrying two, I have a Yakima rack that goes on the back of my truck and I can throw them up there. But like when I'm filming, for example, I have to bring kayaks for the guests, kayaks for the cameraman, and sometimes for two cameramen. So I have to bring up to five or sometimes even six kayaks. And that's what I originally purchased the trailer for was to use it for filming. But man, it's so easy to use now. And there's nothing more entertaining than pulling up to a boat ramp where there's about 62 rednecks in line waiting to launch their boat. And I disconnect this little lightweight trailer and I park and then I walk the trailer down parallel to the boat ramp right next to where they're all standing in line to launch, unload my kayak, walk my trailer back over to my truck, click it in, lock it, go get in the kayak and paddle off while they're all still sitting in line. And I generally try to catch two or three bass within sight of the boat ramp just for effect. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. And, uh, I mean, that's fun. You know what I mean? And what happens is generally you have dudes that will motor up to you later on in the day when they see you out there and go, dude, I saw you back at the boat ramp, man, that's pretty cool. And then while they're looking at you, it never fails when they see that I've got an HDS7 on my boat. They're talking, they're talking, and they go, oh, my God, dude, you got an HDS7 on that thing? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to use it for the exact same thing you are. It's just that I can get in tighter places. I can get on top of the trees. I can get up in the middle of laydowns. And so I actually get more out of my depth finder. But they always look a little thrown back. Well, that thing costs more than a kayak. And I was like, oh, so let me get this straight. If I pay 50000 for the boat, then it's okay to spend 2000 on the depth finder. But if I only spend 1000 on the boat, then I should only spend, what, fifty on the depth finder? That doesn't make any sense. Well, so, and, and, Chad, you know, I, you bring up a good point right there because I'm sure Bass Edge listeners and myself and, and Kurt included in this, you know, we're, we're sitting here thinking, hmm, kayak fishing, you know. And, and one of the things that you just mentioned, our sport has really, in my opinion, just gotten way out of control cost-wise from when the three of us grew up getting on your bike and throwing a rod and reel and a handful of lures going down to your favorite stream, pond, or, or what have you. But why is this a good way to go from affordability, or are there some additional advantages to kayak fishing versus shore angling or having, you know, these full-size bass boat rigs that you speak of? Here's the deal. You know, it's not that I can't afford a bass boat. It's just that it sure. got to be a hassle for me. Like I said, waiting in line, doing all the things that I had to do, the maintenance, the upkeep, the storage. But, dude, really, if it was just about expense or novelty, I'm so obsessed with fishing. I don't spend my money on really anything else. So I would put every nickel I got into it because it's what I'm passionate about. You know, I like to shoot a deer. I like to bow hunt. I like to do a lot of those things. And I've been blessed with the fishing opportunities that I have to have a little better gear on the hunting side just because 
because companies take care of me, which is awesome. But honestly, from a financial standpoint, I think that is the lowest priority for me and for a lot of guys out there. It's the fact that it's effective. If it was just cheap, sitting on a bucket on the shoreline is cheap, but that doesn't encourage a whole bunch of people to go out there and do it. You know what I mean? It's the fact that it's effective. You know, my law book staff caught 139 bass over 10 pounds. And, you know, that's not like Pat Cullen numbers or, you know, any of those guys that have kept track of them for a long time. But most of those, you know, 127 of them, for example, are from the kayak. So for me, it's a more effective way to get into places where other people can't. You know, I go out and fish to relax, to unwind, to get away from it. And I go fishing and I'll do the back end thing on some tournaments with some buddies or I'll do some charity stuff. And it never ceases to amaze me that dudes are at the boat ramp screaming and hollering at each other. They're out on the water cussing each other and throwing stuff. And I'm like, why would I go fishing to do that? I come out here to get away from all that craziness, not to get out here and get in a screaming match with somebody because they think they own the spot I'm on. Look, if they think they own it, I'll go find another spot because that's part of the fun for me. Today, for example, we're fishing a little backwoods slough right behind a lodge that you can't get into in a boat. And the owner of the lodge is like, dude, you ought to fish that lake behind this thing. We'll always see bass blowing up. We've made one cast from the bank and caught a speck. One cast. But we're about to go explore this lake that looks to be about 1,500 acres, and you cannot get in in a boat. So for me, it's more advantageous, and it's more effective, and I can get into places and get away from the crowds and get off the beaten path. And the adventure, the search, the flying around on Google Earth, the dragging through the woods to find out that a place that I thought I was going to fish for two years is completely dry, those are all elements to me that make this as much about the adventure of finding the cool spot as it is catching them. There's nothing better than catching a 10-pound bass in a spot nobody fishes. It's just awesome. <laughs> Chad, obviously you've got a huge passion for this. It's, it makes me excited about it, quite frankly. Absolutely. And, uh, I appreciate that. He, here's a couple other questions that I've got that I think you know our viewers might not really understand and, until they get on kayak bass and TV and watch some of those videos and stuff. But there's obviously a few adaptations that an angler would have to make. Either he's moving from the five-gallon bucket on the shore or he's moving from a fiberglass bass boat either of those people move into the kayak realm are going to have to make some adaptations but really it's not your typical thought process it's not like you're always fighting something that's going to flip over or or something like i mean i see you standing up in these kayaks i mean there's a lot of maneuverability with these things so adaptation wise is there a whole lot of things that an angler has to do coming from the five gallon bucket or the glass bass boat into a kayak you know what here's the deal man it is my job to show everybody what's possible. I use a power pole on the back of my kayak. I use a torpedo motor, you know, a lot of times to get to places that other people can't, to extend my range, to reduce the amount of time that I spend paddling and increase the amount of time that I spend fishing. But honestly, you could have a soft-sided cooler with lures in it. You don't even need a tackle box. A couple of rods, lay them in your lap, a paddle and a life jacket, and you're good. And then from there, the sky's the limit. You know what I mean? You can go with an HDS-7, you know, an HDS-10, I've got buddies that have HDS 10 on a 10-foot kayak. It looks a little ludicrous, but hey, it's what they love. It's what they're passionate about. So to answer your question in kind of a boomerang fashion, going around it to come back to the middle, man, you can get away with a Ziploc bag and some soft plastics and a couple jig heads and two rods, or you can go to the opposite extreme and have $3,000 worth of accessories on there. So you can do it either way. The majority of the kayaks that are designed for fishing now have become adapted for standing. And so you don't 
don't even have to spend a whole lot of extra money. You know, most of your boats in that $750 to $800 range now are going to offer that. Some of your big box stores, you know, I'm a specialty retailer with Hook One kayak fishing gear, but I don't poo-poo on your big box retailers. Your big box retailers, for a lack of a better way of putting it, they're a gateway brand to get people into the sport. And if they don't ever love the sport, they're never coming to my shop. So if you've got to buy a discount boat at Academy or Gander Mountain or Bass Pro or any of those big names in the beginning, and it gets you into the sport and you evolve into a more specialized craft later on, then good on you. I honestly am one of those guys that believes I don't care what boat you're fishing out of or what kayak you're fishing out of as long as you're fishing. You Amen, know, brother. Amen. That we're is... losing the youth in this country to everything. We're, we're losing them to TV. We're losing them to Netflix. We're losing them to Xbox. And we're losing them to all of these other things. And they're not getting outside. We're building the largest generation of type 1 diabetes children ever born in the history of the world. And we're the number one leading country in industrialized civilization for type 1 and now type 2 diabetes. And so, you know, I had a brush with that. And I've lost about 45 pounds myself. And honestly, it's an active lifestyle getting outside. You guys know you grew up in the country like I did and you grew up hunting and fishing. And there's this old country saying it was as true the day the first person uttered it. It's as true today as it was the first time somebody ever said it. If you hunt with your kids, you won't have to hunt for your kids. And hunting and fishing to me go together like, you know, Laverne and Shirley, like peanut butter and jelly, like Obama and recession. And so (laughs) they're really, they're really, to me, integral parts of a quality lifestyle. And whether it's going mountain biking or whether it's hiking, just get off the couch. Get outside. I got goosebumps the other day when a lady called me and she was doing one of those uh, poll things and she was asking me information. And at the end of it, she said, where do you live? And it was like a light bulb went off. She was asking for my address. I got a big old Cheswick grin on my face and I said, outside. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. She said, huh? She said, where do you live? I said, outside. She goes, no, no, no. What's your address? I was like, oh, well, my address is. And I told her my address and she said, oh, okay. And then she said, oh, I just got that. That's pretty cool. You know, I was proud of myself because honestly, that is where I live. Live meaning the verb, you know, not where I reside. I reside in Hendersonville, Tennessee at a house that I rent. I live outside. That's where I'm alive. If I'm stuck in a cage, man, I'm not comfortable. For me, this is just a better way to be outside. It's more intimate. You know, I tell people all the time, all my fishing before kayak fishing was in black and white. Now it's in 3D. Chad, that's good stuff. Let me stop you right there, and I want to get you to hold the line because we are just getting warmed up. We've got to take a quick break, and as soon as we get back, we're going to dive off into some more of the kayak fishing with Chad Hoover right here on Bass Edge Radio presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Oh, oh, oh. Eventually, it's going to happen. You'll turn the key and your engine won't start. Don't lose your ability to get around. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts for a super start battery. Whether it's a reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, you'll find it at an everyday low price. Don't let a dead battery slow you down. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight returns with TV host Chad Hoover from Kayak Bass and TV. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Visit lucasoil.com. It works. Chad, I'm assuming kayak fishing is generally limited to warmer water months. Is that correct? Absolutely not. It's a year-round endeavor. In fact, 
Last week, it was 29 degrees, and me and a buddy paddled out before daylight and paddled to a steam plant near my home in uh, in Tennessee, and we were catching striper on top water. You know, there's a little bit of a gear adaptation you have to make. You need some dry gear, whether that's a dry suit, a wetsuit, a pair of uh, breathable waders with a dry top over the top of it, and snugging your PFD over the top to make it a dry suit. There's a rule of 120. If the air temperature and the water temperature add up to less than 120, you should be wearing some protective clothing. And for me, it's a PFD year-round, and PFD stands for personal flotation device. My son looked at me when he was seven years old, driving down the road and said, Daddy, does PFD stand for protection from drowning? And I went, holy <laughs> crap. That's he beautiful. Said, I got, and again, it was one of them chills moments, you know. I said to myself, he's seven years old and he's already related that the PFD is protection from drowning, but I got adults that I keep putting a headlock and get them to put one on. So it's a year-round sport, man. It's a matter of adapting to it. If you can walk to your car, you can go kayak fishing. If it's not too cold to walk to your car it's not too cold to go kayak fishing you just need to get some good clothing some good gear some good you know shoes or boots uh i'm a big fan of those little shake them up heat things that you put in your toes and inside your vest and it's just unreal that people take off five months which is some of the best fishing in a lot of cases to wait for the warmer months to come around when everybody else is doing it along the lines of gear Chad, talk to me a little bit about lures and techniques that are effective. You know, I've seen you really throw it all on TV from A-Rigs to Frogs to Texas Worm. I even saw you, I think one of the most recent episodes that I saw, I know, I'm sure it was probably a rerun, but it was the day that uh, your son got the haircut at Walmart. You were in the back of his pocket and you got drugged <laughs> by a five-pounder into a bush, you know. But yeah. um, what are your strengths in fishing and what do you enjoy fishing out of the kayak the most? The most for me, hands down, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, topwater frog fishing mostly because it's my go-to bait, it's my search bait. And in a lot of the places that are really isolated, there's a lot of laydowns and there's a lot of surface vegetation. No trails have been cut in it by outboards and it's just very grassy. And so I've gotten to where that lure is my find them lure. But if I had the proverbial, if you can only fish one lure for the rest of your life, well, look, it'd be a frog. It'd be a topwater frog. And I tell people all the time, I've caught a bunch of tarpon from the kayak. I've caught a bunch of big jacks. I've caught sharks. I've caught big reds and big specks, and I would rather catch a 10-pound bass on a frog on top than probably any other outdoor experience, whether that's shooting a big buck, whether that's catching a tarpon that jumps 10 times. I don't know what it is. For me, it's just that's my sanity. That's my nostalgia. I grew up doing it. I got my first topwater lure by working for my uncle who owned a convenience store, and he's really my cousin. But you know how in the country when your cousin's way older than you, you call him your uncle? So he gave me a Zara spook, and then I had to work it off at his store. And I went out and caught a bass on a topwater spook in some cypress stumps where I'm from, near Jonesville, Louisiana. And I was hooked. I was absolutely and, hooked. And in <laughs> Kurt's case, you know, sometimes your uncle is your cousin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Hey, hey, Chad. I, I so uh, watching one. You, you flew into frog fishing here, and I was uh, checking out one of the episodes. You had at Gunnersville, and uh, you were fishing with another gentleman there, and and you were obviously fishing out of the kayak, and he was fishing out of a fiberglass bass boat. Do you notice yep. that you can obviously maneuverability, no hands down, kayaks more maneuverable as far as getting in backwater stuff and that kind of thing. Do you feel like the stealth that the kayak gives the angler is is advantageous as well or have you seen any examples of that in your fishing when you're fishing next to a buddy that's maybe fishing out of a glass boat and you're working the kayak next to him it's absolutely advantageous from a stealth standpoint you know i can tell you that i've been working coves before and the bass are just blowing up i mean they got bait on top knocking it around like a circus seal bouncing a ball around 
just going nuts. Things that when I had fish from a boat, I had never seen go as long as it went. I, you know, I'd seen little pop-ups here and then guys get on the motor and run over there and then they go down. But I've been watching fish and paddled up to them. I've actually poked fish with my paddle blade that didn't even realize I had glided in behind them. Eased the paddle down in the water and you would figure with their lateral line and their ultra sensitive sensory systems that I would never be able to do that. But man, I've gotten so close to fish with a kayak. It's not even funny, but I've seen it where I'm sitting in a cove and I'm killing them, blowing them up every cast. And I hear all of a sudden the bass just shut down and I don't even know it. But about two minutes later, here comes a trolling motor rounding the corner or coming down the shoreline. Or I look back on the fish slow down and I see a boat coming down the shoreline. And, you know, you can catch a lot of fish, especially when there's vegetation and there's insulation from the vibration and you're pitching back into it with a boat. But man, I've seen fish spook off and leave a treetop and swim down into deeper water when a boat was coming from a hundred yards. Yeah. We sit here and we talk about lures. Like, man, that barren lure right there has got that little wiggle to it. And, man, it's going to put off a vibration. They can feel it through their lateral line. But then <laughs> stand on a trolling motor on setting five and say, oh, that's quiet, man. They can't hear that, dude. That trolling motor is quiet. It's quiet, <laughs> but it creates vibration. It puts an electrical signal into the water. It does all of these things. And so I use a motor. Don't get me wrong. I use a, a Torquedo electric motor on my kite, but I use it to get where I'm going. I don't have it running while I'm running down a shoreline speed casting you know if you're tournament fishing and you're trying to catch a top five bag that's one thing but if you're trying to fool the biggest fish in that area you've got to have all your p's and q's uh, in line because a big female bass is like an old lady it's like an old grandma when i was a kid we lived in a double wide trailer my grandparents did they was rich you know they had the double wide (laughs) and so rich ain't always about where you live now rich ain't about how you live and it's just about what you what's got going on oh i mean but here's the thing though where i'm from they was they were rich and i'm doing air quotes with my fingers because not only did they live in a trailer but it had skirting around the bottom you know what i'm saying oh there we go you got skirting and you can't see the wheels anyway walk anywhere on the floor in this house and it would squeak and so my grandma could be sitting in the living room watching soap operas eating popcorn which is crunchy and loud in your head right but you walk into her bedroom and take two steps towards the jewelry box and she'd say boss get out of my room and that That's is exactly right. the way a big female bass is. She is a master of everything she surveys. She knows everything in her world. And that's why people don't realize it, but that's why the dead stick works so well. It's not so much that the action's drawn her in. It's not so much that the lure look, the scent, the flavor, or any of that is drawing her in. It's that you threw it in there, and it is in her area, and it don't supposed to be there. And, you know, we think about fish eating a lure. They're not always eating it. Sometimes they're killing it. Sometimes they're picking it up to move it. You know, sometimes they're doing different things. You just want her to put it in her mouth. You know what I'm saying? That's all. And it doesn't matter why. It's great to learn why. But a lot of times throwing that lure in there and just letting it sit is throwing her world upside down. You know, when I was a kid, if you walked in the living room and left anything on the floor, my grandma would come unglued. Well, that's exactly the way a big female bass is. And it's a big staring contest. A lot of times you throw it in there and it's whoever blinks first loses. But the point that I'm trying to make is you can't enter her world without her knowing you're there and being aware of it. And so the more things you do to not make her wary, the more things that you 
do to not make her ill, the better chances for success you have. I don't know about how many guys out there are married, but I know when I was married, it was a, a challenge to, because, you know, you wanted to get lucky that night. It was a challenge not to do a lot of things great all day. It's just, just to not do the wrong things so that it flipped that no switch. And so for me, fishing is a lot like that. It's not about what you do right. It's eliminating all the things that everybody does wrong that will increase your success. There's a whole lot of things you can do right, but there's way more things you can do wrong to keep you from catching big fish. I'll take a hundred maybes over one no any day. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good look, Chad, about how your perception is, a great analytical process about how those big fish move around. It seems like I can't agree more that, you know, you're going to have a little bit better advantage of catching more big fish. Obviously, you've caught tons of them in a kayak and you're proof right there to the pudding. That's pretty awesome. I want to continue right into the O'Reilly Auto Parts, professional parts people listener question segment. Today's $100 gift card winner is Bill Lortz from Rochester, New York. Bill asks, I found in 2014 with the long winter we had, the fish seemed to never move to their deep water summer locations. Yet the shallow bite wasn't exactly on fire like it typically is in the spring. Looks like we're in for another cold winter and I'm wondering how I might adjust better to summer fishing conditions in 2015 if the same weather patterns exist. What do you think, Chad? All right, so I fish it backwards, and that's just my way of doing it. I generally look for secondary points that are near spawning areas. That's going to be the first place that fish move, and I don't want to wait until I hear about everybody catching them there, because by the time you hear about everybody catching them there, they're probably not catching them there anymore, and a lot of people fish off of hearsay. You know, I use fishing reports like an almanac. Look back at the year before or look back at a similar year and find out when people started saying they were catching them there, back it up two weeks and fish that way. With my depth finder and the way that I got it set up for my kayak, it's portable to go from one boat to another, which means I can also take it in the living room, sit on the couch, zoom in, and fly around on the screen and find spots. What I'm looking for, in particular this scenario, is I'm looking for not these long, skinny, what we call points as fast fishermen, but I'm looking for those underwater submerged points, those big, blunt, fat, round, squatty points that have and I hate rules. I really do. I think rules are the first thing you do to tie your hands behind your back. You know, but one rule or guideline or suggestion that does really well for me is that 20 feet to 20 feet kind of a concept. If you can find a place where the fish can move up shallow and then move back deep relatively easily, especially when you have winters like we're having now and winters like we had last year where they're really frontal-based winters, there are not a lot of sustained, long, super cold periods, but there's a lot of big fronts and then lulls in the middle and then another big front. I think if those fish can move from the relative security of deep water back to shallow water and do so pretty quickly, it's a law of conservation of energy. You know, they're not eating a lot that time of year, so they don't want to expend a lot swimming 15 miles. They want to get more caloric return for what they consume than they expend catching it. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. lions ran around on the plains for three weeks and never caught a cheetah, they wouldn't have the strength and energy to catch a cheetah. So, I mean, I'm sorry, a gazelle. <laughs> I'm looking for <laughs> big... That was a good visual, though, a lion chasing a cheetah. That was. Um, I'm looking for big visuals. I'm looking for big submerged humps, big points that are underwater with either part of or the whole thing is submerged. But bluff walls are another big one. When I go to Dale Hollow, you know, in Tennessee, or if I go to Tim's Ford, or if I go to some of these real bluffy lakes, that time of year, those bluffs are good because they're dark walls. They absorb heat. So during the day, especially the ones that are facing the sun, are going to absorb heat all day long. When the sun goes down, that rock is going to release that heat back into the water. So the bass will get right up against it, you know, almost like us gathering around a campfire and let that heat come 
come back out of it because they're cold-blooded creatures. And so if I can find dark bluff walls, if I can find big, deep, submerged humps with a relative proximity to shallow water, that's the places that I'm going to find a lot of big fish in the times that everybody else is waiting to hear a fishing report about catching big fish. I think if you fish it backwards, start deep and work shallow or find those areas and do more pre-planning than you do paddling or do more pre-planning than you do just going out and turning gas in the noise, I think you'll have a lot more success. Well, Bill, congratulations for having your question chosen and answered by Chad Hoover. Send us an email letting us know you heard it answered right here and we will send out your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Ambassador listeners, continue to send in those questions in 2015. We enjoy your feedback about the show and obviously getting your questions answered here. Always send your questions and comments to us via our email address support at BassEdge.com or through our Facebook page and Twitter handle at BassEdge. Remember to include your name and hometown. Chad, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here on Bass Edge Radio. Any closing thoughts as we uh, close this thing down? Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I'm going to go catch some fish now. <laughs> that sounds great, Chad. Great hearing from a bass and brother and obviously a very unique angler. It certainly was a pleasure. Bass Edge will return after this message. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Hey, look, Bass Edge Nation. Remember that name, Chad Hoover. Aaron, is it me, or is that guy just super passionate about kayak fishing? Has just nonstop with his information. I'm not sure if he took a breath between all the information he gave us. Man, that's serious intensity right there, and I certainly respect that, because if you watch him on TV, not only is he entertaining, but he also knows his stuff, and uh, he's willing to do what it takes to go after those bass in his state-of-the-art kayaks, and I appreciate that. Yeah, we've got a whole new way to look at bass fishing and saltwater fishing for that matter. So, uh, man, you know, Chad brought a lot to the show, opened my eyes to a whole new aspect of uh, fishing in general. I'm, I'm always thinking I'm like the weeble wobble guy, you know, if I get in a little boat like that and I'm going to dunk my head every time <laughs> I make a move. But dude is standing up in the middle of them things, and that's pretty exciting. I tell you what is really exciting. Dude, we're coming up on 200th episode. What's up with that? Unbelievable. Going on nine. Nine years, and it amazes me. You know, it says a lot about our audience and the success. And really also, Kurt, the anglers that we have on here, they amaze me at their preparation. Obviously, it's why all of you guys are successful and have reached the pinnacle of the sport, you know, being on the elites and the FLW Tour. But, you know, I just can't get over how much they prepare for interviews when they know that they're going to be on Bass Edge Radio. That's right. And, and when you're passionate about it, it makes it that much easier. We all love to talk fishing, and uh, certainly that's why I'm here at Bass Edge and have been for many, many years, but specifically here with the podcast for uh, almost two 
two and a half years now. It's getting pretty serious romance here, Martin. What's up? <laughs> That's right. Uh, honeymoon is over. Gloves come off, so uh, it's time to go to work. That's right. So talking about gloves coming off, we're taking the gloves off to do some promo giveaways. you got to stay tuned to Bass Edge Facebook. got to stay tuned to Bass Edge Twitter. O'Reilly Auto Parts has blown it out for our 200th episode. We're going to have some promos, a few giveaways. Hopefully we get some continued interaction on our social media platform. So stay tuned with that and get ready to uh, win some stuff from O'Reilly Auto Parts. That's right, Kurt. It's going to be huge. Of course, as we speak today, this is airing on January 1. So in the event that you're hearing this after the fact, you have all the way up until January 15th. Be sure to log on to the Bass Edge Facebook page or the Twitter handle and get in on some of these fantastic giveaways and promotions that we're going to be doing simply for being a loyal listener of Bass Edge Radio. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but certainly ending on a high note with those giveaways. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin, and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we will see you next episode right here on Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>